Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans. EF1 podcast. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. We're calling this one the Tamborello Talk because we're talking about all the things that happened over the weekend. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. I'm also joined by Coops and Sponge from the Everything F1 team. And we have a special guest joining us this evening. It's the race's editor-in-chief, Glenn Freeman. How are we doing, everybody? You all right? How are you doing, Glenn? Yeah, very good. Yeah, happy happy to be here and to uh, find out what we're going to chat about. Yes, absolutely. Well, we, we are doing a full uh, Imola race review. Uh, we've got lots to talk about because it was an absolutely action-packed belter of a race. Uh, what was your initial thoughts on the race, Sponge? What, what did you think about the race in Imola? I know you're a, a massive Imola fan. Yeah, it, t- it took me a few hours to get over it, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, it was quite funny because the old man was on his way back up um, from a weekend away. Uh-huh. So he he was literally like driving up the road just as the the cars went over the line at the finish. Yeah. But that was only after I'd redirected him to get off a junction early and then try through town. So he didn't it didn't force me to stop watching the, the Formula One, but there we go. Ah good. Yeah, it was a great race. Really enjoyed it. Good, good. And you I'm guessing you enjoyed it too, Coops. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't really know where to look and what to watch. Uh, one minute I tried to count up how many guys went off the track during the race and I kind of lost count and had to go back a couple of times and then I was oh he went off and oh so did he and oh and he went off twice it's it's not it's a race that I can't remember ever being similar to to be honest it was certainly an action-packed race um so first before we get into the full race review let's uh, plug our social medias uh, we are on facebook twitter instagram youtube spotify we've got a discord server we are of course everything f1 and you can find us at join ef1 on any of those places we've got our website www.everythingf1.com please head over there and read some of our great articles mostly written by coops and we as i say we've got the discord server where you can chat amongst all of our fans that are in there and obviously join in and create a great atmosphere and a great community between us all so let's head into the full race review so our race review is called tamborello talk talking about all the things that happened this weekend in imola at the race the emilia romagna grand prix so first and foremost let's talk about that start what a start max verstappen made Glenn, I'll go to you first as a guest. Off the line? Yeah, off the line. Max Verstappen was so quick off the line. Brought yeah. it straight side by side with Hamilton. Yeah, it's a great start. And um, But obviously the really significant thing was what happened when they got to Tamburello. I was going to call it Turn 1, but they were calling it Turn 2 at the weekend, aren't they? which is <laughs> ridiculous. But we'll call it Tamburello. Yeah. Um, it was just great to see, to see them go side by side into the braking zone. I actually thought it was fascinating that Lewis tried to to tough it out around the outside he must have he must have known what was going to happen max max was always going to run him out of road as he was entitled to mm-hmm. do so but i wonder if lewis was just trying to make a point that you know, i am you know 
we know in the past he's been careful with Max because he's always been in a position where he's not fighting him for a championship. Yeah. This time, I think it's very clear they are fighting for a championship. So he probably knew he was fighting a losing battle but wanted to make a point. Mm-hmm. And as I say, Max did absolutely the right thing, running him out of the road and sending him across those horrendous speed bumps on the outside. Yeah, and obviously he lost uh, a front wing and end plate in that uh, tussle, um, which, you know... <laughs> it was always going to happen, as you say. He planted, Max had planted it right on the driving line, uh, and then Lewis just had to kind of hold on for dear life. Uh, did, were you impressed with the start, Coops? Yeah, I was. I was quite impressed by Perez as well. Actually, he didn't. For a second or two, it looked like the both Red Bulls were going to jump Hamilton, uh, but there just wasn't enough space. Being it's the old kind of slightly narrower, older-fashioned uh, track. Yeah, uh, that was that was probably the most exciting thing Perez done uh, through the race. <laughs> he kind of seemed to kind of lose grip of the the Red Bull as the as the race went on. Uh, but yeah, it was good to see. Uh, as Glenn said, you know, Verstappen didn't do anything that nobody else would have done. Mm-hmm. Hamilton got a bit of a bone rattler over those curbs and was lucky to keep it on the track. To be honest, uh, absolutely. And it was, I mean, it was, I didn't realise it until I watched it a couple of times that Verstappen almost ended up on the grass on the outside of this, uh, as he was passing, getting alongside Hamilton. So, I mean, he, he was brave, uh, for sure, to stick it on there, because it was pretty slippery on that, at the start. Yeah, it was. But as I say, when Max, Max came out in the, in the lead, uh, followed closely behind by a damaged uh, Lewis Hamilton. Then we didn't really have loads of action uh, until lap two um, when Latifi uh, brought out the yellow flags by spinning off at the Aqua Minerale, um, which is obviously a quite an apt corner, an apt name for the weekend as it was uh, raining before the race and we had a very wet surface. Uh, but then when he rejoined the track, uh, he kind of got in the way of Mazepin, who is probably not one to trust uh, to, to, to pull out in front of at the, at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it was the wrong wrong place, wrong time uh, for Latifi. Um, and... uh, to be fair on Mazepin, it actually, actually had nothing to do with him this time. Uh, no, no. I, was, uh, I found out today, actually, that Latifi thought he got wheel spin, which pitched him into the wall. And he, it wasn't until he got into the medical centre that he found out he'd hit Mazepin. Because mm. uh, he, he thought he was at the back. So... You know, he was, I think, adjusting the steering wheel or doing whatever you do when you've just came out from a spin and drifted across the track and thought mm-hmm. so he'd done it himself. But, well, he did, but, you know. But then uh, quite quite quickly after that, another of the Hasses got into a bit of the trouble and it's something that, well, I think Mick is going to be a bit embarrassed by, if I'm honest. Mick Schumacher warming up his tyres uh, and he just crashes out at the end of a pit lane. Um what were your thoughts when you saw that, uh, Glenn? Let's let's go to you back back to you. Yeah, I mean you you feel you feel his pain, don't you, mm-hmm. when when that happens? Um, it is one of those things. I mean, we saw in Bahrain um, those car that those Haas cars were pretty easy to spin yeah. on cold tires in the dry. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, one that I'm sure Mick will learn from. I think it'd be much more concerning if we were sort of at the end of the year. And he's doing something like that. It's a tricky car, mm-hmm. horrendous conditions, um, inexperienced driver. Yeah. So yeah, you you can let him have that one, but yeah, it's 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 frustrating because he then had to stay out, didn't he? Because the pits were closed. So yeah. He's had to drive around with his broken car. 
I, the main thing, though, is just how embarrassing it must have been for him. Yeah, he must have um, just been bright red in that car, mustn't he? Just, oh, <laughs> what have I done? How stupid. But again, people like George Russell, they've, they've, all, they've, they've done similar things behind uh, safety cars and uh, at least Mick got to continue the race and finish the race, uh, ultimately, which is probably, uh, well, is, which is something that George Russell didn't have the benefit of. Um, have you got anything to add to that, Sponge? I know you're, uh, you're, you're kind of a fan uh, you prefer Mick over uh, Mazepin, so uh, what what you, what you got to say about uh, Schumacher's yeah, appearance this weekend? Um, I think it's just a steep learning curve, isn't it? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. but I think there was quite a few incidents where any of them, if they had been Mazepin, everybody would have been going, "I oh, get him out of Formula One. Yeah. He shouldn't be doing that kind of thing." And I think, you know, I think it's time to cut Mazepin a little bit of slack. Um, I think maybe it's you know he's done he's done things he probably regrets. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I was actually talking to talking to someone at work earlier who he he's got a, a lad who's done a lot of karting and he he knows Mazepin. Um, he's met him a couple of times, and he said he's one of the nicest guys that you'll ever meet. And you know I'd 100% trust his judgment and I think you, you you have to kind of take a step back when somebody says that kind of thing to you and say well actually is this guy being painted you know is it is it a little bit of uh, an overreaction let's say as to what he did um, can you overreact in that sort of situation though I don't want to go too much into this because obviously we have chatted about no, no, this, this previously um, but there'll be lots of different no, but I opinions. think I, 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 I do think, you know, going back to... Sorry for segueing too much there, but <laughs> I think going back to this weekend, I think everybody was quite quick to point the finger when Mazepin's kind of clumsily fell off, let's say, mm-hmm. during, you know, towards the end. And I thought that was quite hilarious, to be honest with you, because he was on his own, he was going into Akramidorali, <laughs> and he just... He, it was like a cow falling over in a field. It was just hilarious, <laughs> the way that he dropped the car. I was, I was there, I was like... Come on, dude. It's not. You weren't even on the curb. <laughs> I, I don't understand how it quite how it happened, but you know, again, but I, I think he wouldn't be Mazepin if he didn't have a little pirouette during the race. No, somewhere. absolutely. But again, you know, up until that point, actually, he'd done better than quite a few of the other guys in the field. <laughs> you know, in terms of keeping the car pointing the right way. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's time to probably lay off him a little bit. Until he spins again, and then obviously we'll all have a you know a laugh about it kind of thing. So there are quite a um, few web- yeah. quite a few websites with the uh, spin predictions and Mazaspin. Mm-hmm. When was the last time he span? Uh, I'm sure everyone's spied them. I think we even did a little meme that I probably made myself. <laughs> what, yeah, um... we we need to get a few cease and desist orders going out here because I know that Danny was the first person that I heard use Mazaspin. <laughs> So, sorry, Glenn, carry on. <laughs> there's, um, there's a couple of theories inside the team on Mazepin. They obviously do feel that people should lay off him a bit mm-hmm. and that they feel that he's being targeted. But there is an admission from those same people that he's not helping himself mm. is one of the phrases that has come out of the team. Uh, sort of on the quiet. Um, and one of the ways he's not helping himself is, uh, and they played some of this during practice, is with those radio messages. And uh, obviously, if, if, you, if you're not in the UK and you can use F1 TV properly, uh-huh. you can listen to all of his radio throughout a session. 
and he's just constantly barking back at his engineer, telling him he doesn't want to hear information. We'll talk about it later. Uh-huh. Um, you know, really a bit unimpressive, really. And and if you put his and Mick's practice sessions together side by side and listen to the radio, mm-hmm. Schumacher's already sounds like the radio transmissions between an engineer and a driver working together, an experienced driver. It's all change this setting, right, we'll do this, right, we're going to come in and do this. Um, or as Mazepin's being told, right, you're losing time to Mick here. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about it after the session mm. and all that sort of thing. And maybe, maybe he, at the moment, he doesn't want to try and process that information in the car because he is struggling. He is spinning too many times. Uh-huh. But you've also got to be open to, to help yourself and to improve and to operate the way the other 19 drivers on the grid do. So yeah. um, even if we... you know. It's not so much cutting him slack. We could say, right, let's hit a reset button and forget what he's done up to now and give him a clean slate and see what he does. Mm-hmm. He's got to show a lot of things in the car now and over the radio and the way he works with the team to show that he warrants that clean slate and that he warrants his place in F1. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you talk about obviously the relationship with the engineers. Going back to the Mick incident, uh, obviously there was a great relationship and you heard it over there and you've kind of you know, you're okay, just, you've got to go through, you've got to go round again, everything's going to be fine, uh, just do another lap, stay cool, we'll, we'll have, your, have your wing, you know, obviously you can see Mick has slotted into the team quite well, uh, and as you say, obviously, uh, Mazepin, maybe because his dad is, practically owns the team, or has pumped in a lot of money to the team, he's uh, maybe just too big for his boots at the moment, but yeah, that's that's an interesting point that you had there, uh, Glenn, thank you very much. Um, so let's move on from the Haas team, uh, we get Further into the race, we get to lap 12 uh, and we see Perez is under investigation for overtaking under the safety car uh, and he gets a 10 second penalty. Now, let's talk about Perez for a bit because he didn't have the best race. I mean, obviously, uh, Coops, you mentioned at the start, he had a fantastic start initially, uh, three three abreast uh, going into turn one uh, or Tamborello. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened for the rest of the race, Coops? Can you kind of summarise what happened? Well, he just kind of slowly went backwards. I mean, passing under the safety car, that's partly his fault, partly the team. I think the team need to let him know what he can do and what he can't do. You know, he fell off the road under the safety car, which is almost as bad as spinning under the safety car. Uh, So it's kind of like, right, sit behind the two cars that passed you and we'll find out whether you should pass them or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... It was a bit of a, an own goal, but you know, all three of the guys like Vettel, Perez, and uh, Sainz, they've all. I mean, I think Sainz has probably slotted in better than the other two, but you know, they've not, and Ricardo as well, they haven't all done particularly well since moving over. But uh, they're going to take a couple of races to warm up, aren't they? You would, you would like to think it'll come soon enough, but yeah, Perez. For once, though, Red Bull have a car, have a driver in their other car that is capable. I mean, mm-hmm. you got it onto the front row. Uh, so, you know, if it was Albon racing there or Gasly, you're talking, what, 7th, 8th, ninth, Or, you know, the way Albon was driving the latter part of last season, binning it in, the, in Q1 and <laughs> joining Sonoda at the back of the grid or something. But... Uh, you know, if he can get to grips with the race trim of that Red Bull, Red Bull have got the number two driver that Mercedes wish they had because yeah. 
Bottas will touch on eventually. Yeah. Was pretty nowhere, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just a learning curve. It was tricky conditions. Perez has already said that it's a tricky car to drive and he understands the issues that Gasly and Albon for sure had mm-hmm. uh, and why they struggled. So, yeah, I think that there is positives to take from it. It's not the worst weekend, but it certainly wasn't the best. Uh, I think he binned it a couple of times on his own, at least once. The one mm-hmm. that was once been it, I remember. Uh, again, there was that much going on. You know, I'm trying to remember everything, but I think there was one where he just dropped it on his own, which is a bit for somebody like Perez. It's not really something he should be doing. No, to be honest. Have you got anything to add to uh, to to Perez's troubles, Glenn? Have you got any inside information that you want to share? Um, I, I think the the Saturday performance was really significant. Uh-huh. Obviously, Max should have been ahead of him. Um, you know, his his lap was was scrappy. But that's that's not a mark against Perez because Perez did exactly what he's supposed to do, mm-hmm. which is if Max has a problem or drops the ball, Perez is there putting it alongside Hamilton on the front row instead. And qualifying isn't his forte. So while we got a much more entertaining race with the rain and everything else that happened, it would have been quite interesting if we'd had a dry race to see how he would have done because he's I think he's a Sunday man. He's, he's better on Sundays. He came through the field with a great drive in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And I think he'd have, with the way Bottas was buried in the field, it would have been really interesting to see that two Red Bulls versus one Mercedes narrative play out because that's exactly the reason he's been signed. So it's a shame that the race didn't work out for him, but I think mm-hmm. very promising signs from what we saw in qualifying. So across the two weekends, I think there's been enough so far to be positive that this can work out for him and therefore for the team. Yeah, I think he has got a handle on that car, hasn't he? It's it's not that he's it's completely out of his out of his reach. Um, I just think he the, the cards didn't fall in into the right place for for the race. Um, uh, maybe they hadn't set the car up pro- properly for the wet. I don't know. Um, we will never know what what this specific issue was. Um, moving on to the next uh, person, then obviously we we had the. Race control uh, obviously put him under under investigation, and then he got a ten second penalty. Um, and then later down uh, up through the laps, we had the McLaren call for team orders. Uh, now this is probably something that Ricciardo, uh, well, I mean he's he's played it quite quite well after the after the event, and he said you know hands up, it was the right thing to do. Um, but it was a bit reminiscent of. Uh, kind of Red Bull days uh, and I, I, I had that kind of thought during the race was do you think he's going to be having flashbacks is it going to put him off um, so let's let's go to Sponge Sponge what, what was your thoughts over the team orders obviously it was the right thing to do eventually we, we can see that um, but do you, do you think Danny Rick would, would be kind of caught, caught off guard in that instance I don't think he will to be honest with you I think I think he will know that I mean you look at last season with Renault mm-hmm. he, he took he took a good half a season to get up to speed with that car. And then once he did, you know, I mean, the the Imola Grand Prix last, last year, I think, it, it was he on the podium or was he... Yeah, he was, was yeah, yeah. I can't remember. It, yeah. yeah, it was, it was um, the famous Shuey with Hamilton. That was it. During a COVID, yeah, so, during a COVID era. <laughs> let's, let's all, let's all <laughs> share shoes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Beautiful. <laughs> Tastes gorgeous. But I think, I think Ricardo will be happy enough to get some of these in the bank let's say yeah i mean you'll remember my prediction the first half of the year lando's going to run away with whilst danny rick is getting to to grips with the car i do second half i can see ricardo very much 
countering that the same. He'll he'll run away with the second half. And I think from his point of view, he he'll know that he wasn't quick enough. He's already admitted that he wasn't quick enough. Mm-hmm. He's already got one. Daniel, please can you you move over in the bank now? You know what I mean? It's like when you know second half of the season when he, when he's up to speed, it'll be like all right, lads, I did this in this at Imola. It, it's your turn to get Lando hey, to move over now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I do think they'll be very, very close once once he's up to to speed. I think they'll be, he will be uh, very close. Um, what well, he didn't to... he didn't have a bad result anyway, did he? He finished sixth, so it's it's not a, it's not a terrible point score. He, you know, he just he just didn't have the the pace that that, that Lando had. You, have you got anything to add to that, Glenn? Any anything that you want to add? Um, no, I mean, good good stuff from Ricardo to just accept it and and get it done. There was obviously there were a few times last year where. He and Ocon weren't quite so cooperative mm-hmm. uh, when they ended up on track together. But also, Renault as a team didn't handle it as definitively as McLaren did. You know, Lando made the call, said I'm being held up. McLaren obviously had a quick look at the situation and then it was bang, radio call and a firm one at that. Just not even, it wasn't a discussion point. It was, here's your instruction, yeah. need you to move over. And re- so respect to the team for the way they handled it and respect to Daniel for... Um, for following the order and mm-hmm. it wasn't actually that long if you were following the timing screens or looking at the timing tower down the side of the screen it was only a few laps later and you went god lando's six seconds up the road already so yeah the, it's justified the decision, wasn't it yeah it paid off immediately sometimes you see those situations someone says i'm quicker give me a chance and then they get in front but then they drive around and they're holding the other guy up or they only get a couple of seconds ahead mm-hmm. and then the other guy's going well now i'm overheating my tires because i'm in his dirty air they made the decision, Lando got his wish, and he disappeared up the road, which is exactly what you've got to do if you've made that call when you're the car behind. So, yeah, no signs of, uh, of disharmony at McLaren at this stage. And as Sponge mentioned earlier, Ricardo's got one in the bank now, and there's no harm at this point in the season when he's learning his way at McLaren to have something like that up his sleeve to deploy at some point later in the year. Absolutely. Completely agree with you there. Coops, do you want to add anything to that, or should we move on to the next uh, person in uh, kind, of, kind of just reiterating what everyone else has said. I mean, it, it kind of surprised me the speed that Lando had. I mean, in, he was thirty. He finished 30 seconds ahead of Ricardo in 32 laps, I think it was, or he was 30 seconds ahead in 32 laps. I mean, he just went, which mm-hmm. shows you that there was a bit of pace. And I think, you know, as Glenn kind of touched on, like, if Lando couldn't get away, I think we saw that with a Mercedes a couple of years ago at Hungary. You know, Hamilton said he could catch, was it the Ferrari that was in front of him? He couldn't do it, so he pulled mm-hmm. over and let Bottas retake the place, which I think Lando would have probably have done in that in that case. But, you know, going back to fitting in with a car, uh, you know, like all the guys need to, it's like muscle memory. I think I was uh, reading something or listening to a podcast and they were talking about it's muscle memory. Like every steering wheel is different, and when you're in a car you've been in for a couple of years, you know where everything is. So it's instinctive to hit a button to change a thing. So when you're in McLaren, like you've got to think about it and consciously, which slows you down. So within, you'd like to think Ricardo three what four five races or something, and I think you know mm-hmm. you'll start to see him uh, produce uh, some what better he, what he should, yeah. And I think this is a big test for for Norris. This is this is him now got. This is what is his third year mm-hmm. against someone who arguably should be a champion by now, or you know further up the grid than he is, and very well respected. So, 
if he beats him or stays within a couple of points of him, the, 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 he should be firmly in the future world championship or world champion discussion. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure uh, you can tell from my T-shirt that I, I'm also a McLaren fan. Uh, I, I don't like to, to hide the fact. Uh, I, and we're pretty much all McLaren fans on this thing. So we're, we're hoping to see a lot more um, from Danny Rick, because uh, obviously we're talking about Danny Rick uh, initially, but also Lando as well. Um, well, let's move on to, to Vettel then. Uh, on lap 22, he got the call uh, about a stop-go penalty. Uh, now, the, the stop-go penalty was actually because he... Was it he binned it on the on the on the uh, formation lap or no not on the formation lap no, on the on, he, on the way out? He didn't have the tires fitted. There was brake problems for both the Aston Martins. Oh, okay. So Stroll's brake Stroll's rear brakes were on fire, and his right. engineer told him to drive faster, drive into the grid to put it out. <laughs> Which is right, an interesting okay. way to put it out, put it out of fire. <laughs> uh, and there was a there was a different issue with Vettel's car, so they had to repair it. But it's part of the regulations. The wheels have to, even though it's a pit lane start, the wheels have to be on the car five minutes before the start as well. Mm-hmm. So you get a 10-second stop go, which, in all honesty, is a bit unfair. I mean, he's not interrupting the starting. He's in the, he's outside of his, his own grid box. He's going to be starting from the pit lane anyway. So it's a bit harsh, but I think those types of rules are pretty set. You know, they're... If you don't do it, it this was, by then, you're getting that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it was it was some kind of racing incident from like the nineties, uh, where it was uh, in, instigated. I don't know whether you've got any any knowledge of that, Glenn, at all. Um, yeah, there was a famous incident in the eighties oh, at uh, Zolder, where an Arrows mechanic ran back onto the grid mm-hmm. um, to try and try and recover a stalled car. Um, and then someone basically ran into him and sort of crunched him into the back of the car. He, I think he was okay in the end, but we've had we've had other examples since then. I can think of sort of famous shots of I think like Ralph Schumacher's Williams left on the jacks at Spa. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it's a procedural thing. Uh, it is a black and white rule. Ultimately, it's there for safety um, yeah. because you could say if they just need another ten seconds, just let them have it. But you need, there needs to be a black and white cutoff at some point because otherwise it's like, well, you gave them 10 seconds, we needed 25 seconds, and before you know where you are, yeah, the grid's not clearing as it as it should. The, these things are all quite strict. They're there for safety reasons and also to make sure everything goes off at the time that it should. You know, it's very strict with TV and all that sort of thing to make sure that the formation lap starts when the little Rolex clock hits the top of the hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, it's unfortunate, and it does. It seems like a very severe penalty, but it's a black and white rule. It's been there for a long time, and ultimately, it's there for a good reason. Absolutely, yeah. Safety of people is uh, is paramount, really. Um, so we didn't got... really do much. Didn't sorry, didn't really on. do much to his race. To be fair, uh, <laughs> in all honesty, yeah. It was at least. Kind of forgot he was really. there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, kind of forgot Vettel was about for most of the time. It was like what two laps from the end they retired him because they knew he wasn't going to get passed by the Haas cars. Like, oh, he's still driving. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, it's not when you leave when you leave from... Grand Prix manager on, and you just forget about your drivers, <laughs> and you start. Oh, they're still there. <laughs> no, they're still going. Well, let's. It's a uh, it's a worrying times for Vettel, I think. But we'll yeah, see. let's ask uh, Glenn about that because we obviously we we've. Uh, us, us three lads have shared our opinions on Vettel on the podcast uh, over the previous weeks. Um, 
Glenn, what, what what are your thoughts on Vettel? Is he is he in a rut? Is he or is he is he just is he just lost it now? Or is it just something that he needs to 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 get a hold of and he'll, and he'll be back up to to you know championship contender late in the year next year something like that? What do you think? It's a great question. Um, he definitely he'd obviously lost his mojo at Ferrari, mm-hmm. but there seemed to be understandable circumstances behind that i did think that going to aston would kind of refresh and regenerate him yeah um but obviously there's a running theme here and you've you've talked about it already that all the guys who have switched teams and i think we can include alonso in that as well the limited Mm pre-season the the tricky cars the the circuits we've been to so far um they're all on the back foot vettel's in that camp and vettel has the disadvantage as well of a team that's slightly lost as well yeah um i they're clearly overplaying this this rake thing because you know the Mercedes are doing quite well, mm-hmm. uh, all things being considered. But yeah, Aston are not as good at the moment as they ended last year as racing points, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is a big change going from a Ferrari engine to a Mercedes engine, and you talked her about the muscle memory and the, the, all the buttons being in the right place, all the systems, familiarity with those sort of things. He doesn't have that yet. Mm-hmm. He just needs a smooth weekend. And I don't, I don't think we can really judge anything from Imola. Um, the the concern in Bahrain was the fact that he drove into the back of Ocon and then tried to blame him for it. So <laughs> um, the, the jury's out. I, I really hope it will still come good for him. And I did think it would. Um, it's been a concerning start, but I don't think it's a start that would suggest that we write him off yet because mm. for most of the things that have happened, there are other circumstances working against him as well. But the key thing will be, when it does all come right, that he is still operating at his top level. So I think we'll get the answers. We won't have to wait all year to get those answers, but it's a little bit too soon at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've got you've got to give the, him a fair crack at the whip. Um, um, let's go to... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Carry on. No, just a quick one I wanted to add in for Vettel. I think what's unsettled him as well is I think he's... He's not got the car he's expected he was going to get when he signed up for yeah. them, looking at last season's performance and how they were the third best car. And then as, as Glenn touched on, they're overplaying this low rate issue and I think they've kind of dropped the ball a wee bit on the development of this year's car, which has been hindered a wee bit, not as much as they say by the, 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 the regulations. But I think Vettel's been a wee bit more unsettled because he was hoping to come into a car that was already the third best mm-hmm. And it's struggling to sit. It's struggling to be the fifth best just now. So I think that's unsettled them, just as much as just the, the unlucky kind of or the the lack of luck that he's had mm-hmm. uh, with his preseason testing. He, he didn't get a lot of running at all. He's had the gearbox issues. He had a brake issue. Getting his penalties, which weren't his fault. Uh, so I think there's a as Glenn's touched on. There are some contributing factors. Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll go on to lap 27 when Max uh, was the first person, uh, well, first of the top teams into the pits. Um, and then obviously it was hammer time. Uh, did Hamilton perform his quickest laps then? Um, I, I, I fear he didn't do his usual uh, hammer time speeds because, as I say, he, when, when he went into the pits, he didn't come out in front. Yeah, but he lost a couple of seconds on the pit stop. His pit stop was four seconds. Yeah, yeah but. Wasn't yeah. it? And then. I mean, Verstappen's outlap was amazing when he came out. 
to jump him as well as that extra couple of seconds, I think. Other than Verstappen almost losing it under the safety car or the B-star, mm-hmm. which is fun <laughs> to watch, uh, I think it's been one of the most complete Verstappen performances I can remember. I don't... He, he done what he was supposed to do. He kept Hamilton behind. He just kept going. He done what he needed mm-hmm. to do. Uh, he, he, he had that wee slide at the restart, which I think he was just doing that to make sure the pit wall were paying attention. I think he was he done that purpose. <laughs> he was doing, clearly. Uh, just wanted to make sure that Horner was like, are you watching me? Uh, but, yeah... <laughs> Uh, I, I was. I, I don't think Hamilton was quite right, but then also he, he couldn't really do Hamilton when he had that damage to the front wing, which although was minor, mm. it's that you know that uh, that end plate's there for a reason, so it's not going to balance it quite the way it should have been balanced. So out of the pits uh, came obviously Max uh, Hamilton came uh, was second after the pit stops, and then third was Charles Leclerc. Now, he stayed there for quite a while, didn't he? Uh, it, well, well, I say quite a while, until the uh, red flag uh, came into play uh, a, f- a few laps later. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the Ferrari's performance this weekend? So we'll talk about Charles Leclerc first, because obviously he was the front, uh, the, the, the better of the, uh, the two um, prancing horses. Uh, were you impressed with his race weekend, Glenn? Uh, I'm always impressed with Charles Leclerc, and I have been since uh, he turned up and did a, basically a wild card Formula Renault race in about 2014 or something and mm. uh, he came through from the back in the wet and finished on the podium and I was like whoa who is this guy <laughs> um, and then someone pointed out to me that at the end of the year he came back uh, and he got beaten by George Russell who was also doing a, a wild card um, so yeah those two looked all right quite a few years ago um, He's he's been doing superhuman stuff in that car for a long time now um, you know, he got the upper hand on Vettel mm-hmm. in 2019. Uh, he dragged a rubbish car to places it had no business being last year. Now he's got a slightly better car. But in some ways, it's it's almost difficult to judge the true level of that car because, again, he is going to be dragging it, certainly on Saturdays, maybe another row forwards from where it, it should be. So the gauntlet's really laid down for science. And fortunately for Ferrari, the car's a bit better in race trim now. So as we're describing here, he, he doesn't just tumble down the order like he did last year. So yeah, the guy's the guy phenomenal. And one of the reasons you know we should want to see Ferrari competitive again is because it should, I would love to see Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc at the front. Yeah. Three different teams really going at it. Um, yeah, he's the real deal. And when, when, when Lewis finally leaves, hopefully we get another couple of years of, of him battling these guys. But Verstappen and Leclerc is a rivalry. Maybe with someone like Norris as well that can really define the ne- the post-Hamilton era of F1, I think. He's that good. I think we, we meant, you mentioned it last week, actually, Coops. Um, we've, we've got a really good era of racing ahead of us. Uh, we, oh, yeah. we, we, we're, we're comfortable with, with, with who we've got on the tr- on, in the cars. Uh, we, we know we, that, that they can perform. Um, to to a brilliant standards uh, and hopefully they can. I think I think what what, what it was I said I think there's only there's only two or three that you think, and on the grid just now that you don't really you don't really talk about in a championship or front running sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take out Alonso and Raikkonen as the kind of older generation, but if you look at Norris, Leclerc, Verstappen, Russell, uh, 
you know, they're just off the top of my head. They're, there's four, you know, Sit, Carlos Sainz, uh, Perez is probably going to kick about Ricardo. I mean, that's almost half a grid or a good third of the grid that if these new regulations that come in do what they're intended to do and keep it, keep it together, like I said the last time, you know, Hopefully we're not going to get, and no disrespect to Lewis, but we're not going to get seven championships by one team dominating. Mm-hmm. You might get two years with Leclerc that fall in, that do well over two years, then you may get a year of Verstappen, then Norris might grab one, and you know, and we've got all, we've now got a grid of drivers that it's not out of, you know, years ago you would get laughed out of the pub if you said, oh, I think Petro Diniz is going to win a championship. You know, he was never, ever going to be in contention for it. Or, you know, it was four or five. But then for a while, it was two two teams. You had Hakkinen and Schumacher. Uh, mm. Could have been Eddie Irvine if Ferrari decided that they didn't want him to win the championship first. Uh, with that fast car that suddenly became really slow. <laughs> um, Conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, my tinfoil hat. I've got a few. Glenn, um, are you excited about the future of the sport? Let's 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 touch on that that subject while we're while we're here. Yeah, I completely agree. That, that, the driver lineup, all those names we just rattled off. Um, there'll be and there'll be new ones. There'll be new ones coming up to join them as well. But I think I think the the, the grid, of the sport is in very good hands going forward because yeah, there's so many young guys and. I hope Hamilton's relishing the challenge of another couple of years of this. Mm-hmm. One one slight concern I have about the new rules is I hope they work because they're very they're very controlling. So there shouldn't be a way that the teams a team can steal a march like we've seen before. But I actually thought that that qualifying session around a, a tricky and not that long lap did suggest we're almost reaching that stage we often get to at the end of rule cycles where everybody starts to close up because at the front you've got diminishing returns. So just little things like Bottas has an off day Mm -hmm. and instead of being third or fourth, he's eighth or wherever he was. And I just thought Mm. we we had Norris, if you assume that his track limits violation gained him half a tenth maybe at most, Mm -hmm. he still he'd done another purple sector before that. His whole lap was brilliant. He could have been second or third on the grid if that lap had stood. Um, so then you're going, well, Ferrari are almost there. McLaren are getting there. You'd assume Aston Martin will at, at some point. And there's just that, I had that nagging feeling for the first time of actually, if we stuck around with these rules that have been so frustrating, it's been so frustrating how spread out the field's been. Are we finally getting to that point? We've, we've just got to hope, um, as Coops mentioned earlier, we've got to hope that these rules do what they are intended to do and close everything up. And the reason we can perhaps have faith that they will is that they're so restrictive. And hopefully uh, the maybe reduced technical challenge for some of the engineers pays back the the fans with the spectacle. Um, And then I think it will be worth it. Yeah, and and they look mint. If they're (laughs) going to look anything like what the models look like in those... There's a higher profile tyres, so oh, they're going to look like I've said before. See the the preseason next year is going to be amazing. <laughs> the uh, only thing I'm disappointed about is the wheel rims. I, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble of having 18 inch uh, rims and then you're going to cover them up with a, a wheel cover, you're kind of hiding the the, the 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 kind of the 
the look really of the 18 inch wheels I, uh, that's my, it's my only niggle with the new rules uh, i wish we could just see the the wheel wheels a bit more um that's just from me anyway um we'll, we'll get back on to the race review because as i say we could we could t talk about formula one all all year uh, i'm sure glenn wants to go to bed at some point tonight <laughs> i know i do um but we'll go to talk about obviously that that led to the chain of pit uh, pit stops um after Max went in, uh, came out, and it was Max in lead still. Hamilton second, Leclerc third. Um, we'll go on to the oh, the incident on lap thirty-one. Sorry, I've just just seen the notes here. Um, Hamilton goes off at turn nine, uh, slides into the gravel, very light contact with the barrier, but he manages to get out of the gravel trap by reversing. Now, obviously, there's been a bit of uproar uh, online from people that don't necessarily know. The full rule, uh, full extent of the rules, uh, saying he can't reverse. It's dangerous. Blah 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 blah. Do you want to um, tell us what the actual rule is, Coops? Because I know you, you you're you're a stickler for the rules, and you'll be able to explain it uh, perfectly. Um, did he did he did he break a rule by reversing and coming back onto the track? For the people that don't like Hamilton, um, which there are unfortunately many um, in the world, they'll look for anything to hate no. him for. <laughs> The, the, no, he didn't break a rule about reversing onto the track because there isn't a rule that stops you from reversing. There isn't a specific rule about reversing onto the track. There is a specific rule about reversing in the pit lane. Mm -hmm. And Nigel Mansell found that when he missed his pit box and reversed back and got black flagged. But on the racetrack, it's just... If I remember right, it's Article 23.7, or I might be getting that wrong. It's, I think it's that one. Uh, where it's just about if you leave the track, it's about getting back on the track safely. Mm -hmm. And he was constantly, constantly on the radio with his team, wasn't he? And they were saying, "Yeah, you're clear. You can carry on." That that's what Michael Massey came out and said. Basically, what he said was he was he's in the director's you know control room. He could listen to all the communication, so he heard everything. As you touched on, the team were saying, "Right, keep going, keep going, right, that's you." So he felt that it was safe enough. He didn't breach any regulation. It's a sporting regulation, so he didn't breach anything like that. And it was controlled by the team. So it wasn't just a, I'm going to reverse and hope for the best. It was, no, nope, you're on the edge of the track, right? On you go, you're clear. So no, for any of the Hamilton haters, which is one or two, <laughs> uh, he didn't. He didn't break a rule, everyone. He didn't break a rule. <laughs> yeah. Val Valtteri Bottas and George Russell didn't crash on purpose to make sure he got on the podium. Lap 31, we had uh, contact between uh, Valtteri Bottas and George Russell. George Russell uh, was behind, but he was closing very quickly uh, on Valtteri. Uh, and he went to the side and stuck it on some wet tarmac. Um, but at the time, uh, George Russell obviously had some choice words uh, for Valtteri. Let's talk about that then. Uh, the incident. Sponge, you haven't spoken for a, a little bit. Let's just go to you first. When you first saw the incident and you first heard what uh, George Russell had to say about it, who, who, where were you leaning on the blame aspect of the uh, incident? At first, I thought it was Bottas' fault, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, the more I've watched it, the more I think that it's... DRS's fault, if I'm perfectly honest with you. I think George... <laughs> jo I, I'm not a George Russell fan, right? Not in, not in any way. I want I want to see him in Mercedes, but it's, not, you know, it's not like Lando or whatever. I'm not a massive George Russell fan. I couldn't help but think... Right, there's a lot of there's a lot of 
things that goes into my brain when this kind of thing happens. Mainly the fact that they're they're racing at Imola, they're going into Tamburello, mm-hmm. and it's like, be careful, lads. You know what I mean? This this, I know it's a lot. You know, it's a lot different these days. But watching that crash kind of brought back quite a few pretty bad memories. You know, Berger going down that um, mm. down that wall and catching fire obviously with the center thing on the exit and everything and it's like god you know you know what's happened here in the past just take it easy and i think but they're racist they're never all of that in my mind easy, are they? no 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 absolutely and no. in in the mo you know in the heat at the moment and everything it's a very very different beast i think the thing the thing that i'd kind of latched onto, and the issue that i had in my head was that the drs was basically meaning the closing speed between them two cars was I mean you saw it with Hamilton on Norris the way that he closed up every time and he, he did it with Leclerc as well it was horrendous just how how quickly them cars were closing on each other and I, I, I mean you, you all know my feelings on DRS don't like it one little bit <laughs> I think it, I think it ruins races more than creates them to be honest um, but you've got a Williams that's closing so quickly on a Mercedes. Uh-huh. I don't know whether Bottas saw him or I don't know whether he saw him and thought, oh, he ain't going to be a problem. Mm. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's beside me. What do I do? Because if you actually look on Bottas, he's on board. Yeah. Literally a split second before the uh, contact happens, he kind of yanks the car to the left. So I don't know whether it was like, you know, I was surprised that he just saw a car there. Um, I also don't think George dropped it on the grass. I think he actually dropped it either on the white line or the damp patch because mm-hmm. you actually see, as you're watching it, you hear the, the car revs go up literally as soon as he moves onto the damp patch and onto the white line. I, I genuinely don't I don't think he went onto the grass. I might be wrong. Probably am wrong. Usually I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think originally I thought it was Bottas' fault. I thought Bottas could have give, given him a lot more room. Mm. Um, but then when you you watch it back, you, you say, you know, he was, was following the dry line. Yeah. There was space for a car. Mm-hmm. But again, there's another thing. There was a little bit of a left-hand dink in that road. And Bottas let his car run over to the right-hand side. Split second, what does Russell think is going to happen? And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think the more that I watch it, the more I think... The more I think that Russell was wrong to react the way that he did yeah albeit i could understand why he would be a little bit uh, displeased at the fact that yes he gave him just about enough room but was it really necessary to create that you know again that's just my that's just my way of seeing it okay well let's go to glenn What, what, what have you got to say about the incident it was obviously quite a spectacular crash um obviously there was you know uh, but Bottas himself was winded, um, and uh, obviously Russell was was really kind of furious, really at the time. Um, so the heat at the moment, things were said. Yeah, and uh, obviously um, we have we have the the good fortune with the timing of this that it's that we're able to talk about George's apology and climb down, which um, we cert- we weren't able to do on on the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at the incident itself, I. I spotted that little jink to the left from Bottas as well. I think that was a reflection of the fact that 
he hadn't realised George was coming at quite that amount of speed, hadn't seen him. Mm-hmm. And then when he did see him, he was like, whoa, and tried to give him space, at which point it was too late. Um, I think it was a racing incident. Um, I, I totally agree that it's kind of caused by DRS. And, and one of the problems, and we'll come back to this later when we talk about Hamilton coming back through the field, but they extended the DRS a bit uh, for this year mm. because it, they yeah. didn't think it was effective enough last year. Or as I put it to someone, they obviously didn't think the overtakes were inevitable enough. Um, <laughs> so they made it more powerful. Yeah. And totally agree, that's a contributing factor, as is having a DRS zone uh, that covers sort of two or three kinks, a couple of right-hand kinks, then a left-hand kink. The racing line was what Bottas was following. Um, just a culmination of many factors. And I, my initial reaction was that no one personal factor was wholly or predominantly responsible and that's how I feel about it a couple of days after as well and I I don't really think George should have apologized I suspect he was encouraged yes to apologize he could it was the threat of the Clio cup I think was the uh... yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know if you yeah, saw they that didn't the, even uh, say interview. they didn't even say that they'd put him in a, like a Mercedes GT4 it's like you have to go and race a Renault um yeah, may, maybe really he was apologising for his behaviour afterwards. He was obviously fired up about it, as you would be when you've had a big accident like that. Yeah. And as he mentioned, that result that was on the line meant a lot more to Williams than it did to Bottas. Yeah. Um, so I can see why he was fired up about it. I admire, really, that everybody spoke their mind afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, Bottas and Russell had it out, kept that going when they got back and got interviewed about it. And Toto Wolff told us what he really thought as well. We don't get that very often, so... Mm. Um, I was fine with all that, and I didn't really think George needed to apologise, to be honest. No, but he has apologised. I'll, I'll have a quick read uh, of the apology. Uh, it's, it's put, um, yesterday wasn't my proudest day. I knew it would be one of our best opportunities to score points this season, and when those points matter as much as they do to us right now, sometimes you take risks. It didn't pay off, and I have <coughs> to take responsibility for that. Having had time to reflect on what happened afterwards, I know I should have handled the whole situation better. Emotions can run high in the heat at the moment, and yesterday mine got be- mine got the better of me. I apologise to Valtteri, to my team, and to anyone who felt let down by my actions. That's not who I am, and I expect more from myself, as I know others expect more from me. I've learned some tough lessons this weekend, and will come out of this better, a better driver and a better person for the experience. Now it's full focus on Portugal and a chance to show what I'm really about. Thanks for all the messages, both positive and negative. They will all help me grow. So yeah, it does sound very corporate, doesn't it? It's a very corporate apology, uh, almost kind of. He just signed your name at the bottom of here, son. We've we've written it out for you. Um, but he's always been like that, though, hasn't he? Yeah. He's always been very media savvy, very professional and straight laced, and you know, straight faced as well. But yeah, again, the the emotions. But people were shocked at that. And uh, again, because we're a social media uh, page mainly, and we do get to see kind of people's opinions uh flare up uh, and, and little little kind of arguments in comment sections and that sort of thing and people who are saying oh you know he shouldn't he shouldn't have done what he probably did he was it, it shows he's he's got a silver spoon or whatever you know all, all the all the general comments that you probably expect um from from social media danny's just made a good point as well um uh, he said that people need to stop putting so much pressure on what drivers say after an incident like that the adrenaline's running mm-hmm. and it's difficult to think anywhere near straight immediately afterwards. Look at when Hunt punched the steward who was helping him, then immediately apologised. 
I think he's got a good point there. He's, and I think Vettel actually said this. He kind of hijacked the the answer from Hamilton, didn't he? Mm-hmm. One one race. Yeah, that's and he was like, yeah. you know, was... this this is ridiculous. Stop stop asking us these ridiculous questions. Stop judging us, you know, in this ridiculous. Way. I've got to be honest with you. In a sim race, if I get punted off in a sim race, I'm raging. <laughs> I'm properly going for it. I'm like, why are you doing? You know, stop it. You know, I, I can completely understand why the kind of red mist descends on these people when they think that things haven't gone the way that they thought they should have. So I'm with Danny. I think I think it is time that we could kind of stop, um, or the media stop piling into them, and you know, kind of step back and have a bit of a look at it. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 two there's two things I took away from it. Uh, well, the first thing is, it's a proper racing incident for me because when I first watched it and watched the replays live, I thought that's Bottas' fault, he squeezed him. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it again and thought, oh, there was space, that's Russell's fault. And on my article I've wrote, like, like Coop's conclusions for yesterday, just kind of run down in the weekend, mm-hmm. I put in that it was uh, Russell's fault. And then I'm still like, I don't know. I think it may be. I'm not sure. I do think it's absurd that Total Wolf came out and said that Russell needs to watch when he's racing against a Mercedes car <laughs> and has to change. Like, excuse me? No. Until you put him in a Mercedes car, he can race who the hell he wants to, and as long as it's within the rules, he can race him however he likes. Mm-hmm. I think there's two things that have made this a bigger thing than it is. Well, actually, th- uh, probably three. Is Bottas shouldn't be night getting passed by a Williams. <laughs> so Bottas being down there and getting, regardless of DRS or not, I don't know what was going on with Bottas. He must have took the wrong porridge that morning. <laughs> or I don't know what version it was. Maybe he got a firmware update and it didn't work. I was going to say, he's uh, gone back to 1.5. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he, no, he's, he's Bottas Vista, I think, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> I think what made it a bigger deal was Russell's reaction. See yeah. if they got out of the car and just walked away. You know, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Like, But to see George Russell, as we've all said, and as Sponge has said, he's very corporate. He knows he's said the right thing, which is what has given him the respect he's got. Because uh, he's not going to get much out of a Williams, out, out, you know, or just on the track. Uh, to see him in his face, because initially when he jumped out of the car, I thought, is he going to go over and make sure he's all right? And then the next thing, he's slapping the halo, and then there's a bird getting flipped, and you're like, oh, okay, all right. So it's one of those ones where I think we're never going to get, and then like two people are going to say it was Bottas, three people are going to say it was Russell, you know, Sponge is saying it's DRS that contributed mostly to it. But yeah, Bottas shouldn't have been in ninth. Russell probably shouldn't have reacted that way, but it's not as big a deal as it's made out to be. Uh, okay. And well, that that it, brought out the red flag. Let, let's let's move on to uh, to, to obviously yeah. the red flag. We had a, a, a red flag uh, time um, in the pits. Obviously, that was uh, probably about twenty minutes while they cleared the the, the marshals cleared the track, uh, and then the what some people have been in an uproar for. Uh, is they got to the backmarkers got to unlap themselves, which meant, of course, because at this point Hamilton was one lap down, Hamilton was a, a, able to to take that lap back, um, which annoyed a few people. Um, I don't know why. 
and people just get annoyed at the silliest of things unfortunately it's like they've never done it before (laughs) (laughs) it's a new rule but to be fair uh, Haas were only allowed to get one of their laps back they were two laps down by this point and they were given one lap back yes true Uh, so they so but yeah as a rule they're allowed to do it so but it's Hamilton so yeah, so matter. anyone, they're, they're all, they're all fine an excuse. Oh, they're always find an excuse to have a go at him. And obviously, he was able to get his lap back, which you know people are arguing he wouldn't have been able to do in in the race. Um, but it, it's the same for every safety car. They it closes all the gaps that you know that, that happens. It's not something special that's happened. That the FIA are, are giving Hamilton a boost for the championship. It's nothing like that. No conspiracy theories. It just is what happens. Um, so, are you telling me I need to put the tinfoil yeah, hat back? Yeah, put it back, put in, it the back in the draw, Coops. Put it back oh. in the draw. Okay. <laughs> fine, fine. So we have the race restart. Obviously, it's a rolling start, which is something that we're probably disappointed in seeing. Um, mm-hmm. Why wasn't it? Why wasn't it a, a standing start, uh, Glenn? Can you can you share shed any light onto that? Uh, just caution, I think, yeah. especially in the wake of. Uh, such a big accident being the reason for the restart. Still a few damp patches around everyone on slicks. I don't think they like the idea of people going two and three wide down that bit of the track where we'd just seen that accident because someone had put uh, a wheel or two on the wet patch. So mm-hmm. I, I'm totally with you guys. I wanted to see a standing start. I always do. Yeah. Um, and t- take that risk. They wouldn't be going as fast as, as Russell was. Mm. Um and trust those guys to be the, the best drivers in the world. So it was a shame, but we know we know F1 usually likes to be cautious when it's given the option. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they started uh, in the order of, uh, it was Verstappen first, obviously, Leclerc second, uh, Norris third, Perez fourth, and Sainz fifth. I won't do the whole the whole list because we'll be here all evening. Um, but... I, th- I think uh, just at the start of the rolling start, I think Leclerc's still waiting to be told it was a rolling start, going by how well he started then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he should have been right on the gearbox of Verstappen because Verstappen <laughs> lost it and then he's but what I found out as well from that was I think Leclerc didn't know because they had, they had communication issues with the radio right so Leclerc was going around expected to line up on the grid and it was a rolling start and, he, oh, and, all right. and then Norris you know, the, the, the papaya of Norris uh, Lando Norris uh, just flew past him, uh, which is great to see because we're all yeah. we're all not so secret McLaren fans uh, and we're all cheering on Lando Norris um, so Lando Norris was in a perfect position for the rest of the race, wasn't he? Um, should we talk about the rest of Lando, yeah. the, the rest of Lando's race? Because he did perform to the absolute best of his ability this weekend. Uh, he only put, made one very, very slight mistake, and that was in qualifying, um, because he was set to be, you know, uh, on the front row of the grid or uh, third, sorry, starting third on the grid, which is, you know, a, a great, a great start for a, such um, a young uh, McLaren uh, driver. So yeah, he put one 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 foot wrong all weekend. He came after this race restart, and and he's racing there in second place. Uh, absolutely brilliant. He he controlled that that race from from there for, from anyone behind it, any attack from behind him uh, until of course Hamilton came behind him. Uh, have we got any opinions on on uh, Lando's race from there on, uh, Sponge? But before we move on from Lando, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I think he's as good, if not better, than Max in. Uh, <laughs> why does everybody Ooh. get so shocked when I say that? Well, I don't know why I was shocked, actually. You say it every week. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to put down and go stab him? It's not even that. See, I, I, 
I'd love it. I mean, this is, it goes back to the age-old argument, doesn't it? Stick them all in the same car with the same setup, or you know, blah, 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 who's going to drive it quicker? I, I think. I just think that Lando's his racecraft is just second to none. I, I think he's amazing, and he he is now in the same position that Leclerc is in at Ferrari. He's taking a car, a half decent car, and making it a very good car. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I said before, Ricardo will catch up, and he will, mm-hmm. he will also do the same because he did the same with Renault last year. But I, I genuinely think that Lando's performance was just—I mean, how old is he? He, he drove, well, he drove like he got like the experience of Kimi. Twenty-two. Exactly, he, he drove like he got Kimi's experience, or you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think. My, in my personal opinion, my unbiased, <laughs> very biased <laughs> opinion, I think that Lando is probably second to only Lewis at the moment oh. as a driver. Mm. What, what are you? That is controversial. That is controversial. But we'll, we'll, we'll move on to our guest because we, you know, we we have him for one pod, so we'll we'll ask him his opinion. Did you enjoy Lando's race uh, this weekend? I thought it was brilliant. I've seen it suggested it was probably his best or most complete weekend in F1. And mm-hmm. there's lots of nodding from uh, from you guys who probably remember better than me the other highlights. Um, and Yeah, I didn't have any arguments with that claim. And the thing that impressed me most was the way he handled the Hamilton battle. Um, nobody else was able to put up any sort of fight to mm-hmm. Lewis. You know, the combination of the Mercedes and DRS just meant it, it wasn't a fight anyone else could keep. But for Lando to keep him behind for as long as he did, and the way he did it as well, it, it wasn't it wasn't pure elbows out driving. It wasn't it wasn't trying to frighten Lewis or, or make Lewis think, oh, I can't trust this guy. It was just really, really controlled, in command, just placing the car in exactly the right place. And it was going all the way back to the Rivazza corners at the end of the lap every time as well. You've got to get those right to have yourself in a position where you, you can defend at Tamburello. So that that was the most impressive part of his race for me. But I, I totally agree. The whole weekend was great. And I've always I've always thought Lando was, was something special. You know, you could put his junior career pre-F1 alongside anyone else's including Lewis's mm-hmm. and it, it's just as impressive um, the difference of course was that he came into a midfield team and I do agree that Ricardo will get on that level at some point and the great thing about Ricardo going there is as we've discussed already we know Ricardo's top draw yeah. we're now getting that perfect benchmark to see just how good Lando is and that's a great driver lineup for a team that is still going in the right direction and on the back of that the, the more the more that Lando outdoes Ricardo, the more it's going to give Lando confidence to keep going. And yeah, absolutely, I, I, I to- totally agree. Well, obviously he got overtaken by Lewis towards the end of the race, um, but we did see some great battle between them. It, it, you know, Lando put the the car in absolutely right position uh, loads of times. Uh, it was just, it was unfortunately a case of when, not if, uh, by the end of it that, that Lewis would overtake. Um, because he was just applying so much pressure for the whole the whole rest of the race. Um, where were you surprised, Coops, to see uh, Lewis Hamilton on the second step uh, of the race this weekend after that, obviously, two incidents that we had? No. Yeah. it's This is what Lewis does. This is why he is the best of the generation. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think he would have got second if he was a lap down, but he probably would have got tenth or ninth, knowing him. <laughs> uh, well, he was in eighth. He's just. <laughs> well, he would have been a lap down. Well, yeah, true. But you know, it's it's just like when Lewis makes a mistake, which is once every four years or something. Uh, like a driver error, not like the team shouting him into a closed pit or something like that, you know, or telling him he could do his race starts halfway down the track, <laughs> you know, they, you know, uh, you know, you don't. I don't remember the last actual Hamilton mistake, uh, but when he makes a mistake, he fixes them, mm-hmm. and this is just this is why he is the best that there is. Uh, and arguably the best there ever has been, but you know we can't go into the discussions about the goal of the whole Formula One because there's no real. You can't really compare them with the different generations. But so no, no. <laughs> so, I uh, knew you'd pipe uh, okay. up. You'd pipe up. Uh, yeah, but it's. I, I was not surprised uh, at all. Uh, I don't think he should have. Uh, like he shouldn't have won it because Verstappen was just too good. And if there was a chance that Hamilton won it, then it would be a steal. Uh, a bit like the Bahrain result, uh, a bit of a steal for him. But no, I'm not. I'm, I'm more surprised about how anonymous some of the other guys were. Like Ocon outraced Alonso. Mm. Uh, the only time I remember seeing Alonso is when he spun when you were looking at the two cars in the gravel and he just appeared the wrong direction. <laughs> You're like, whoa, what were you doing? Uh, and, you know, the, the Alpha Tauri decided to go on to full wets, which didn't work. Sonoda spun again. So he was very, it was a very good weekend for Sonoda at all. After we were all going to how amazing he was at Bahrain, it was a very rookie mistake, very rookie weekend, which he's allowed to do because he is a rookie. Mm. Uh, he was he was in my dream team for the weekend, so I'm not a happy person. <laughs> uh, I think he got me about four points. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, there's been a few. Well, let's give him his due. Uh, I'm very he, he started twentieth and he finished in twelfth, so he's made some positions up. Um, obviously, but he had the slowest spin in the whole weekend. <laughs> he just it just slowly went into the, you know like that must have been the most sickening feeling as you're a driver in that car. How slow that is going. It's not a sudden. Oh, what's happening? It's you. You, you must have felt it going for half a lap. <laughs> just wee. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, the Alpha <laughs> the Alpha Tauri team must be they've got a really good car and they're getting nothing out of it. Absolutely nothing out of it that they should be getting. That car's a really good piece of kit and they've got two decent drivers. In the last two races there've been you know, Gasly his race was done when he had his contact with Ricardo and Sonoda's race was done in qualifying. And then of course they decided to go for the full wets and you know, fair play to them. They thought it was going to race. It was going to rain harder. Well, clearly they thought that. Uh, it didn't work out, but they must be disappointed with the last two races because they've got a better car than they've they've shown. Uh, yeah. Are, are you impressed with T- uh, Tsunoda's uh, performance? Obviously, not necessarily. Obviously, at Imola, uh, Glenn. Um, but uh, it, it, taking Bahrain into account and. You know, just just his general kind of attitude as he's come towards the uh, grid as well. He's he's very positive and very kind of I'm going for first. Yeah, I think he's a he's a breath of fresh air, and I think he will he will crack it. Um, it's it was it was unfortunate to have two errors across both days. Mm-hmm. It's a track that punishes that sort of thing. Um, so you could say he's unfortunate to have a track like that so early in the season. But I I wonder if he met, he, he came in 
riding a, a big wave of confidence. I imagine he's he's been chipping away at that a little bit over the last couple of weekends. So, yeah, he probably needs to maybe forget about his his loftier ambitions, not worry too much about what Gasly's doing. Let Gasly lead the team, mm-hmm. uh, get his feet under the table, and I, I'm sure he'll he'll come good. We've seen enough from him. We know enough about him. I think to know that it will work out, and he's not. He's not a fast crasher who's just made his way sort of up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just uh, a bit unfortunate, but I don't, I, I don't think it'll be long before we see what he's, he's really capable of. And I totally agree about AlphaTauri as well. You know, they're, they're probably another team. We were naming teams that are probably ahead of Aston Martin earlier. They're another team that should be, they're probably the one that should be snapping yeah. at the heels of McLaren and Ferrari at the front of the midfield. And, They'll be very disappointed not to have points to show for that, but yeah. I I do feel that they will their challenge will be sustained this year. I don't think they're missing out on a fluky period where they're not banking points. Um, it's just been a real shame that they haven't been another another team that's been a part of that battle so far. Yeah, but we've got a lot a very long season this year, so they've got every opportunity to uh, to put themselves into contention for some really really good points uh, from two very good drivers and very interesting drivers as well. Tsunoda being a very exciting driver uh, that's just come in this year. Okay, so the race did obviously end. We had a winner, Max Verstappen. Uh, he really did kind of have a great weekend. Uh, obviously, he just missed out in qualifying um, to, with his, uh, to his teammate and to obviously Lewis Hamilton. Um, but other than that, he, he, he controlled the race uh, as soon as the, he got past Hamilton on turn one. Um, should we just have a, a kind of a talk about Max's race. Were, were you were you impressed, uh, Sponge, with with his racecraft in in this race, keeping Lewis behind, going off into the distance? Well, yeah, he was all right. Wrong person to go to, I think. <laughs> Let's go to Glenn. Let's go to Glenn. Yeah. Glenn, Glenn. <laughs> as a as a complete impartial, hopefully or not, uh, we don't know. But were you excited by uh, Max Verstappen this race? Is it is it a championship drive uh, that he that he had uh, in uh, Imola over the weekend. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was very impressed. And I am impartial. I've been impartial since BMW fired Jack Villeneuve in the middle of 2006. Um, <laughs> but no, it was very, Shocking. It, it was very good for Max. Um, on the, the championship itself, um, the only... I kind of wish, for the narrative of the season, I kind of wish Lewis didn't get that lap back. Because I think it would have been great for the narrative of the championship battle for Max to have come away with a slight points lead. I mean, he doesn't even lead the championship because Lewis got the fastest lap. So I, I liked the idea at that point of Lewis having to hunt Max down over the next few races and close a gap would have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because I thought it was very interesting that you could, over the course of that race, I mentioned the start where I was surprised that Lewis kind of hung himself out to dry on the outside. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the error that put him in the tyres, he admitted that was him being too hasty because he was trying to stay on Max's tail through the backmarkers. So it was very interesting to see Lewis outside of his comfort zone uh-huh. and reaching for, for limits that we perhaps haven't seen him need to reach for for quite a long time. So I, I love the idea of that. And obviously that would be exaggerated if he had a points gap to try and make up over the coming races. So... I say that from a neutral's perspective, mm-hmm. um, not having any preference over Max or Lewis. I just want a championship battle that goes for the whole season. And I thought that Max gaining some points here would give us a better chance of that because we're all we're all scarred from so many years of Mercedes dominance yeah. that no matter how good Red Bull are at the moment, and they're usually very good at developing cars, 
but it's just that nagging feeling that Mercedes will get it right at some point and then we'll be back to Max uh, sniping for, for picking up the scraps. And I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, but he did he did everything he could in that race. Um, I was going to say he didn't put a foot wrong, but of course he did um, <laughs> on that on that restart. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, yeah, a, a great assured drive. And I do feel that we, the one question we had about Max up to now was what would he do in a championship fight? Mm-hmm. How, could he could he race in a different way? And I think so far we've seen that you know he's got the supreme talent that he can turn it to anything, and it does look like he can change the way he races if he's racing for a championship. And I really hope, just for the sake of neutral fans, that he is racing for a championship and that this continues all year. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I am a neutral at heart. Uh, I just have a very slight British bias. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just want to see close racing. I just want to see uh, a, a fight in the championship until the end. Um, like you have absolutely said, uh, hit the nail on the head there. So we did have, obviously, Max, Max winning. Lewis Hamilton came second, but he did pinch that fastest lap. So, obviously, he, he is now a point ahead of Max. Is this season going to come down to who gets the most fastest laps? Do you think that's the fastest lap is going to be Hopefully. the is going to be the decider this year? Are we going to be one point yeah. in it? Are we going to be that close? Let's hope so. I mean, that would be brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you'd want to. It'll get to the point where like Red Bull and Mercedes will be using Bottas and Perez in the last few laps, fling them in, put on a set of softs, and try and steal that point off them. You know, it, it, it it's always added that extra wee bit. Like to us, it's one point per driver. That's twenty three points over the whole year. And as you say, if it's if it's going to be as close as it is now, like one point is all you need. You know, this season reminds me a wee bit of the Sebastian Vettel button, uh, Canada. You know, we don't really know how Hamilton deals with pressure because we don't remember the last time he was under pressure over a season. Maybe Rosberg, 2016. 2016 yeah. <laughs> uh, and he, he didn't win it. He didn't win that. You know, he's a very different person now, obviously, but, you know, as, as, as Glenn touched on, you know, he was impatient because he wanted to get through the back markers and he went off the road and he, he kicked himself for it. So it's, you know, if we have the season that we're looking for and, you know, to, to be a bit Scottish, the arse doesn't fall out of Honda's engines and they start blowing up or something, you know, <laughs> well, let's hope that we see it, uh, you know. It's, 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 we've, got a, we've got a championship fight and we've always wanted one for the last few years, and I, I'm hoping it stays that way. I'm looking forward to it. The other thing as well, equally as much as will, you know, an extra point for fastest lap win a championship, could the very prospect of the, uh, you know, the fastest lap and the extra point scupper somebody? Could it be that Max is, you know, three races to go and he needs that fastest lap to get in front in the championship? Pushes it a little bit too much to yeah. the end, and then like you know throws it off like Vettel did in Germany that one year. You know it's that that kind of thing as well. You you know that's where that's that's where a close championship all the way through the season benefits absolutely everybody, and ultimately it benefits us as fans. You know the the more people that are racing bumper to bumper, the better. And DRS will go and scuffer the lot. <laughs> So how far into this, if we have a good close season, how far into the season will the fans start saying that we don't need these new rules, we don't need these new regulations, <laughs> look how good the racing is? How far will it no. be? Just next couple of races? No, 
Nah. If we have a really good, if we have a really good Spanish Grand Prix, because we don't tend to have good Spanish Grand Prix. So if you have a good Spanish Grand Prix, then it's interesting. No, I think everyone wants there. those new cars. They look great. I think they that. Just you, because you like they look great. Do you think that they'll take each other off? Do you think Verstappen and Hamilton will take each other off at some point during the season if it stays close? Because I think they will. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Might see some. I think I think they'd rather cross centre. I think they'd rather it. Yeah, I think they'd rather bin it and they take each other off uh, rather than lose ten points to them. You know, keep it close, like. Uh-huh. Not saying they would do it on purpose, but you know they're going to take that chance to try and do the move that probably isn't going to come off, but they're going to do it anyway because, well, it's Verstappen and I'd rather not him get in front of me. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be fireworks. I don't think they're going to be talking to each other by the end of the season. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, uh, I think they're, they're both very, very lucky that that didn't happen at the weekend with the way that, that Hamilton tried to hang it round the outside into turn two. And the fact that he went over them sleeping policemen and didn't actually collect, yeah, yeah, we wish it did happen because then Norris would have won his race, eh? yeah, <laughs> Norris would have won. Obviously, we've, we've talked about, we've, we've spoken about a lot of the, a lot of the races, but anyone that we haven't mentioned that you think had a great race, we'll go, we'll go to Glenn first. Who do you think had a great race that we haven't talked about yet? The standout for me was Norris. Yeah, um, and I, that's not a very original opinion at all. You know, he won. He, one driver of the day. Yeah. Most people who have rated the drivers have put him at the top, um, and deservedly so. Um, it's, it was very, it's very hard to kind of judge drivers like the Alpine drivers and that sort of thing because that car just isn't there at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, who else have we mentioned? Stroll did okay, but again, hard to judge at the moment because we don't know don't know where that where that car is. So I think. Because the race was so eventful, yeah. there were so many people to talk about it. Where it wasn't, it's not a case of you debrief the race and you just talk about the battle for the win and Max versus Lewis for forty-five minutes, and then you go right. Who else should we talk about? <laughs> um, it was yeah. There was so much, so much going on. Um, okay, then. And obviously, how we about owe who, part of that to the weather? Who who disappointed you in the race then? In terms of, were you were you surprised by the lack of performance from some of the ex champions? That that's a really it's really interesting, isn't it? Having kind of Raikkonen and Alonso sort of scraping through mm. into Q two and then not really doing anything, which is more at the moment a reflection of of their machinery. The big letdown of the weekend was Bottas. Yeah. Um, it's um, apparently it's something to do with the, the narrow setup window for the Mercedes uh, combines with the fact that it's, it can be hard to fire the tires up. So on a cold and then what turned out to be damp weekend, uh, that just put Bottas completely out of that window. Yeah. Whereas Lewis finds a way to get into that window. Um, but that's what I like about the closer midfield is that if you're in a car that good yeah. and you don't get it right, you should pay the price like he did. You should be exposed by the midfield teams, end up eighth on the grid and have people asking, as you guys asked earlier, what are you doing racing a Williams <laughs> and possibly getting overtaken by one? So... That that bodes well for us. It's not great for Bottas, but we've had years, haven't we, of the guys in the front running cars. When Ferrari were good, if you did if you did a bad job in one of those top three teams, mm-hmm. you were sixth. Yeah. Um, and we, it doesn't look like we've got that at the moment. Um, it's interesting. Something we haven't really talked about, other than his shunt, was Latifi. Yeah. On the face of it, getting into Q two looked really good for him, but actually 
I've heard another theory that really he probably should have out-qualified Russell because he had the edge on him through the weekend. So he kind of did a great job getting to Q2 and he was quicker than Russell in Q1, yeah. but then didn't deliver in Q2. And then obviously made made two mistakes in very quick succession um, in the race. So that was a good opportunity. And who knows, potentially uh, an opportunity for that bet to come in on on two Williamses in the points uh, that we mentioned at the start. What odds do you get for that? Oh, don't know. Oh, I don't uh, know what it was. 25 to 1, I think it was, or something like that. <laughs> that seems harsh. <laughs> I'll stick a couple of quid on that as well, actually. <laughs> It's not a bad car, the Williams. It's a bit, I think it's the aero, isn't it? It's very wind-specific aero they've went for, so they've kind of, they've took a gamble on the aero. It's very sensitive. It's uh, a peaky car. Yeah. Um, which yeah, over the peaky, balance that was the, the season won't really pay you back, but I can understand. I'm, I think Williams have possibly engineered that explanation once they realised they had a peaky car. I think I think the narrative of well, we all sat down and decided let's design a peaky car, um, but once they realise they've got one, yeah. The positive is if you get a weekend where it works, it might be a car that sneaks into the points for the first time in two years. Um, yeah, let's hope so. So it might work for them. Brilliant. Well, I think that pretty much sums up the race. I'll, I'll, I'm going to going to just shout out the names of the top ten because uh, wow. Just, just so everyone is aware of where everyone finished. Uh, it, uh, the race ended obviously on lap 63, completely the full, full, uh, full roster of laps. Uh, it went Verstappen first, <clears throat> Hamilton came second, Lando Norris, woohoo, came third. Uh, we had Charles Leclerc fourth, Sainz fifth, Ricciardo sixth, Gasly seventh, eighth was Stroll, Ocon was ninth, and then the two-time champion Alonso was tenth. So. It was a great race, really exciting, loads to talk about, and obviously we've we've made sure we we try and touch on most of the subjects uh, during our race review. That's why it's probably taken about an hour and a half to do so. Um, let's move on to our guest because obviously we have got you here uh, now, Glenn. Um, you're the editor in chief of the race now. The race, it, it kind of popped up out of nowhere last year at the start of the season. Um, wh- where did it come from? You were obviously, you were an autosport um, journalist slash editor slash, you know, many of many job roles. I looked at your LinkedIn earlier uh, to check. Um, so so what, what happened? Uh, what, what made you join the race or start the race? I, I don't know, kind of the roots of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had the opportunity to join it when it was, when it was starting up. Uh, it's just an opportunity to to start something with a clean sheet of paper, mm-hmm. um, spot what we thought was a, a gap in the market, um, mainly aimed at giving more to the hardcore fans, giving them more depth, more explanation, um, trying to tell deeper, better stories for them. Um, and yeah, that, that's an exciting opportunity. If, if, if that if that comes along, the chance to kind of in a way, do it do it your way, or have or have a greater input mm-hmm. um, with a, a small, tight knit team. You know, we are we're operating on a limited resources and a limited budget that became even more limited shortly after we launched <laughs> because of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's just it's just a really exciting opportunity. As you mentioned, I've been at kind of autosport and in that world for a very long time. Had a great time there. That was always my ambition. I was a subscriber to the magazine. Uh, long before 
Uh, I did work experience or anything like that wow. there. So it was it was incredible to be there for as long as I was. And um, it was always going to take a pretty special, unique opportunity to to prize me away from it. And that's that's what this has proven to be uh, so far. And yeah, we're just over a year into it now. Yeah, uh, it did kind of pop up from nowhere. Yeah, it came together quite quickly. Um, but I feel, I, yeah, I think that um, I think we found a place. I hope we found Absolutely. a place. And uh, we're still evolving all the time and, and trying to to get better, um, trying to think of new things to do and new ways to interact with the audience as well. So, yeah, we're having a lot of fun. And it what kind of makes my day, this sounds so cheesy, but it happened today, <laughs> so it makes sense to share it, is that every now and then you, we do something and then you, I just get a message from someone going, I love this job. And that that's... That's why we all do these things. That's why you guys run this this page and this community and this this brand that you've got going as well. We're all here for the same reason. We're passionate about this sport that we love and we all want to find ways to convey that and to, to interact with other people about it. And that's what we're trying to do. And yeah, we're pretty happy with how it's going so far. Yeah, it is. It's one of the, our sources of information. Um, we, we head over there. As obviously, you have, you have a stock of little websites that are saved into your browser. You're certainly one of the top ones. Um, and and, and uh, Autosport as well, uh, funnily enough, where you previously came from. Uh, you've got a great team, though, haven't you? you you've, you've managed to grab people from many different areas. That It's, it's all, all big names. Uh, were you involved in any of that, or were you kind of just brought on as one of the big names as well? Uh, well, I wasn't one of the big names. <laughs> but No, I wasn't... Um... Yeah, I was kind of... You're being modest. You're being modest. You were. <laughs> I I was recruited rather than doing the recruiting. Okay. Um, I was, I think I was one of the one of the earliest members of staff. And yeah, was obviously consulted and um, from that point. But a lot of it was also um, just putting job adverts out and seeing who came forward. And some people we maybe didn't think would be available came forward and, and, and expressed an interest. And um yeah we, we we've got we have got a great team um thank you for that and i agree and i also think that just looking at f1 for example we've got mark hughes edge straw scott mitchell they all bring something quite different to the table that they specialize in different areas of the stuff they write they have different contacts within the paddock they have different things they are good at so mm-hmm. they all complement each other quite well uh also so you, you don't when you have quite what is still quite a small team compared to a lot of our rivals, you don't necessarily want a load of people who are all good at the same thing. Yeah, sure. Um, and mm. I think you need, you need that kind of dynamic where everybody complements each other. And um, yeah, I, 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 think, I, think we've, I think we've got that. Uh, and that was, that was really important because, yeah, we knew our headcount was going to be limited. So you've got to make sure that you spread yourself as, as wide as possible with, with the people you, you get in. Um, I'd love I'd love to, by now, have, uh, for us to have been trying to add some more people yeah um but i think uh yeah any sort of investment or expansion is probably on hold uh, covid's put pay to a lot of that unfortunately hasn't it yeah exactly so yeah we're just grateful i think that we're still able to work mm-hmm. and uh, and still have you know i think we're all very lucky that f1 popped back into our lives last july and that we're hopefully getting a full season this season as well. So that's that's the main thing. We've got something to talk about. Yeah. Uh, well, and if if they all go but like Imola, hopefully that will keep the keep lots and lots of uh, content on our pages, on on your pages, and on our pages as well. Um, 
Now, you also do a, a couple of other things as well. You, you've got your own podcast, uh, Bring Back the, the V10s. Um, as I say, we, Coops is, is an avid listener uh, of that podcast. How yes. long have you been doing that and what kind of, what kind of made you, what motivated you to do that? Uh, it's been going um, just over a year. We started it in March 2020. We've done three series. Series three's just finished. Okay. Um, series four will be back in the summer. Uh, deliberately vague. <laughs> to buy myself quite a big window for when it would come back. Uh, the motivation for doing it was was um, obviously that was that was the era where I fell in love with the sport. Um, you know, I started watching it as a three year old in 1989. Mm. That's our starting point when when they got rid of the turbos, and so we go 89 to 2005. Um, and the motivation really was that. I listen to other podcasts about other sports that do similar sort of things and look back at eras when I was really into those sports. And it's great to hear not just the stories retold, but the new things you can find out or the things that got forgotten. So, yeah, it was kind of a template I wanted to follow. And even before we start speaking to people again and, and telling stories that haven't been told before, just going back through the archives and all the things that have been forgotten over time, because... All of our memories, our favourite memories of, of any sport, and let's look at F1 in particular, they get boiled down to certain flashpoints. There are certain moments we remember vividly, but you don't remember a lot of the other stuff around it. And my my favourite episodes, I think, are when we, we focus on a race weekend rather than a long storyline, mm -hmm. because you go all over the place. One minute you're talking about what Jordan were doing, then you're talking about what Williams are up to, and then you're talking about what Bernie Eccleston was doing at the time, and, and the FIA, and... You cover so many things in hopefully an hour, hour and a half. And um, it's really good fun to look back. All the all the guys on the team get a kick out of being part of it. And yeah, um, yeah the main thing is is the audience have, have bought into it. The, num the numbers are great. And what I love uh, is when people discover it, almost every week, our second most listened to episode that we've ever done will always be episode one. So I get the impression that people find it and then straight away go back to the start. Um, so it's great to see that, that so many people do that because you don't, you don't need to listen to them as they come out mm -hmm. because you know, <laughs> the, uh, the story will be as true uh, in a few months' time as, as it is now because all the stories are so old. So I love that element as well. I love the interaction we get from people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, we, we finish each series with... Um, a Q&A from our, our listeners. And the first year we did it, I think I had like five or six questions left over at the end. I had a hundred left over at the end of this series. Wow. So the, the level of interaction we get now is amazing. That's great. Um, and it's, it's because of that that I can justify spending so much time on it. <laughs> at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> and, and that's what you tell the wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the same for here. Same, exact same thing for us. Um, have you got any tips for us? Uh, you know, as we are a fledgling podcast... Uh, hopefully we're doing something right. Um, what would you say? What would you say is your number one lesson from l doing the podcast yourself uh, for other people maybe wanting to do a podcast? Yeah, it's, um, it's really that's a really interesting question because I never hosted anything before. I'd occasionally appear on Autosport episodes and even some of uh, the race F1 episodes if Ed Straw needed a needed someone up from the subs bench to to fill a space. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, just be be as interesting, as impactful, as opinionated as you can, but always say stuff that 
you're willing to back up. You know, you've got to be. You can't just say something to get a reaction if you're not prepared to back it up when you're challenged. Um, and be yeah, be sharp as well. You know, I, I think I, I have to now bring on some of our other podcasts that we're doing, and it's sort of get in, make your point, and get out. And we don't. We all struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I struggle with it. I've probably struggled with it tonight, to be honest, because we've been here for ages now. Um, <laughs> but that's now, born out of our love and our, and our knowledge for it as well. We'll, um, we'll blame Coops for that. We always do anyway, so we may as well blame him tonight. <laughs> well, I'm happy to take the blame <laughs> this week. Um, I, I, I've not talked that much today. I mean, while I'm actually now talking, uh, <laughs> I will say that one of the articles I wrote actually came as a direct response to listening to one of your uh, Bring Back V10 episodes, and that was the 97 Hareth uh, episode. Uh, and, I, and it's funny you mentioned, actually, that you uh, that, that came up, because I always remember watching the qualifying in the three cars with exactly the same time, but I never connected everything else. Like, I didn't connect in my head, because I was quite young, it was 97, you know, I didn't connect. That was the qualifying that led to Schumacher hitting Villeneuve and then the kind of gentleman's agreement with the McLarens and the Williams. And when I listened to that and I was like, oh, wait a minute. And to be honest, and I've said, I said this to Teller when they kind of let him read it once I'd done it, it's probably the one article I'm probably the most proud of. And it's almost one of the most popular ones out there. Yeah. And that came as a direct response to listening to you guys. Uh, because again, as you say, it's going back to things I don't remember some of the things in the early 80s and then I'm I'm, I'm actually doing what you've just said. I've went back and downloaded the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually currently listening to the, the Prost being fired by Ferrari episodes, the first two. So it's, uh, for me, being a kind of novice writer and listening to this and anything like that, that and you, the race is the one thing that I tend to go to first behind our podcast, obviously, <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's, and I was actually quite nervous having you on because I've listened to that much of you on the, on the V10s. I was like, oh, great, come on. Uh, so, have you got a question though, Coops? Let's let's ask him a question. Have I got yeah. a question? Let's have a question. Have you the one thing I want curious to ask is I've I've grew up obviously through the eighties and nineties. Have you noticed a big change in how fans consume their kind of media, as it were, uh, from now the way that the race is solely website and podcast the way it was back in the day? Yeah, I mean that that change has been going on for a long time, and I kind of really that's been going on in this century i i lived and worked through it at autosport where the um, as i said my ambition was to work for that magazine the um the first job i got there was a junior role on the website but still then the ambition was to get to the magazine in the mid 2000s and that was where i made my next move and then sort of six years later you find yourself wanting to get back to the website because that's the way it's going and even at that point Social media wasn't what it is now. YouTube wasn't what it is now. That that's a that's a huge part of our kind of awareness of who we are and what we do is people discovering us through the YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, the thing, it's going to keep evolving because technology keeps coming up with different ways for us to to tell stories and to reach an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned at the very start of the show all the various places people can find you guys. 
Um, once upon a time, let's say 15 years ago, you'd have just run a website. You'd have you'd maybe bought a URL or whatever, and you guys would run a website or a blog, and, and that would be it. But there's so many more ways available to us now to, to talk to the audience and like-minded fans as well. So I think it's changed massively. And I think with all with all sports, the, that's why I'm not, I don't get too bogged down in the obsession of, say, TV ratings. Uh-huh. Because not everybody now sits there and watches every session live on TV. But that doesn't mean they've checked out of F1 entirely. Um, you've only got to see the millions of views the official F1 channel gets on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And there are so people have more choice than they've ever had before. And what we need is more seasons like the one that we think we're getting this year, where it's worth sticking around and worth paying a lot more attention to throughout the whole season. Um, and it is good to be sat here and not assume that by sort of three quarters of the way through the year, Lewis will be notching up his eighth championship. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It'll, <laughs> t- it'll go down to the wire. Um, Sponge, have you got a question for Glenn today? Uh, yeah, just a quick question. Why Vilma? <laughs> That's a really good question. No, um, nobody ever asks me that, which, which doesn't really make sense <laughs> because it's not the most obvious. Um, but I do have an answer. Uh, I it was when he was in IndyCar, um, in so I started watching IndyCar properly because Mansell went there in '93. Mansell was a bit rubbish in '94 as reigning champion, and I noticed there was uh, this name that I recognised on the grid, which was Villeneuve. Um, I knew a bit about his dad, who was obviously before my time. But I just took an interest. I was attracted to the name because of Gilles. Um, and then he was quite excited in IndyCar. He, you know, he, he won a race as a rookie in 94. Um, he was the only driver to get anywhere near the, the dodgy Penske's at Indy that year. Mm-hmm. And then he won the championship mm-hmm. the next year and came to F1 to drive for Williams, who were my favourite team at the time because I'd been a Manson and Hill fan before that and uh, why am I still a fan today is probably the better question and I guess the answer to that is loyalty <laughs> he's had certainly had a few controversial opinions over the last few years has that has that tested your loyalty um I, I don't place too much weight in those mainly because um particularly when he maybe spoke more when I was still at autosport every, every the reaction on social media would be no one cares what he thinks and all that but then you look at our analytics and you go well Loads of people care, apparently, what he thinks. So yeah. it attracts a certain type of, of the audience. But in a, in a sport where so many people are so guarded with what they say, there obviously there is a place for people like that. You don't have to agree what he says. Mm. I quite often don't. I know that most of the time he's being controversial for the sake of it, but mm. it, it entertains enough people, it seems. Um, so I suppose it goes back to that old saying, you do the talking on the track, and he certainly did that, didn't he, when he was racing, so... Yeah, exactly, and he, I, I think was, you know he he had he had more than enough to back up what he was saying back in the day. Yeah, and I think that that gets lost um, now because of the way his F one career petered out and all the stuff he did afterwards. And people go, well, you know, why is he still around? Why is he kind of turning up anywhere that he can find? He can make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, that that shouldn't detract from how good he was in the mid nineties. Because if you combine what he did in IndyCar with what he did. In his first few years in F1, you know, he was a special talent at that time, and at his peak, was was excellent and very entertaining. Do you think that Do you think that Villeneuve was a bit like Alonso in the nineties, where he was he made the right decisions at the wrong time? Because I think because I watched Villeneuve at the time he came into Formula One as well, and he always seemed like someone who had more. He was deserving of more championships and more wins in Formula One than he got. 
Yeah, I mean, the um, obviously the the BAR decision was disastrous for his career. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's always been talk that he could have gone to McLaren. I don't see how he could have driven for Ron Dennis. I don't think that would have worked oh. at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, we discussed this on a recent episode of Bring Back V10s. Actually, that you know, ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand, he was still driving brilliantly. Uh, he just he didn't have the cars worthy of his talent at that point. And then you know, new drivers started to come in. People like Montoya came along and, and were picking up drives. It wasn't we had that whole class of two thousand and one, didn't we? Where mm-hmm. Alonso Raikkonen yeah. and Montoya, and who could possibly forget Enrique Bernaldi, um, <laughs> joined the grid. So yeah, he he put himself out of position on the kind of chessboard of the driver market, as you say, much like Alonso has. And if anything. Alonso probably made more missteps than Villeneuve got the opportunity to because Villeneuve made one yeah. really bad step and his career never properly recovered. I mean, I will, uh, you have mentioned Montoya. I'm kind of similar to you in that, that I don't follow a driver anymore because my driver was Montoya and I followed him in the kart championship, but I watched him over here and wished he did a wee bit more. But he was fun when he was here. And I mean, he's my favourite driver. He did bin it behind the safety car at one point and... Uh, to see the camera shoot to Ron Dennis, particularly not impressed with it. That was quite a scary shot. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about your career highlight then. Just uh, pick, pick if you can pick one. Uh, have you got a career highlight that you want to chat about today? Um, it's it's been a great career so far. I've done all kinds of things. I've met uh, met great drivers, met lots of world champions, covered lots of great races and championships, been to a lot of great circuits. Um, Honestly, my, my favourite interview mm-hmm. was one I did with Villeneuve where we did the Race of My Life feature for Autosport. So he had a free pick. What do you want to talk about? He chose uh, Indy, to, uh, Indy 95, winning the Indy 500. Uh, he said it was a, a toss-up between that and Jerez, um, but it was Indy mm-hmm. for him. And I spent, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes just having him describe in great detail winning the Indy 500 from a two-lap penalty. You know, he was two laps down. They call it the Indy 505. Um, and to have him describe it all back to me and to remember what it was like to be a nine-year-old kid supporting him and watching that hmm. and then thinking, like, here you are 17 years later or whatever it was at the time, having him then talk you all through it. I was like, this is this is cool. Dream come <laughs> this, true. This... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so... Yeah, it's almost a bit of a cliche answer, but you can't look past something like that. That's that is, yeah, dream come true stuff. Absolutely incredible, and makes you really appreciate the opportunities that come up through a, a career like this. You know, very, very lucky. Oh, so conversely, have you ever said the wrong thing in an interview, uh, and 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 consider it as a as a as a low a low point in your career? Sorry for being controversial, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's quite an obvious one. Um, that was my <laughs> was my first experience of internet backlash. Uh, it was 2011 uh, with Michael Schumacher. Right. Uh, we were at testing at Jerez, and every indication we had was that um, <clears throat> Mercedes. This was Mercedes' first proper car. So you remember the 2010 car really was the 2010 undeveloped Braun. Yeah. I, I always call it the Braun BGP002. Um, <laughs> yeah. So their first proper car in 2011 was supposed to be when they made the step, and they didn't. Um, I, I, was, I was fresh off of covering the DTM, so I had some contacts at Mercedes. 
And during the day, Schumacher went really quick on, on soft tyres. And I got word that the nod had come from Germany to set a time, to set a quick time um, to get the German press off their backs. And I, I found a way to put that to Schumacher at the end of, at the end of the day, and the, the scowl he gave me—he wouldn't—he wouldn't—he wouldn't properly turn his face to look at me. He kept looking at whoever he was talking before, but he just turned his eyes and his face. I can vividly remember his face, um, and he gave me quite a, a dressing down. Um, and then his his manager after he left, his manager. Uh, told me that I don't understand testing and Formula One no. and, and all this sort of thing, and I sort of oh I sort of muttered under my breath that I did. Um, <laughs> but then, for the first like four races or something of the season, Mercedes were qualifying 1.9 seconds off the pace, so um, we were right. But that story uh, doesn't quite end there. I, I was, it was a shame that my main interaction with Michael Schumacher was, you know, a legend of the sport was so negative, but. <laughs> Um, I got to put that right in Valencia 2012. I covered that race for Autosport. And all weekend, Michael's sessions clashed with Lewis Hamilton's at right. McLaren. So all the journalists were going to the Lewis McLaren sessions and Mike, nobody was there to talk to Michael except me and one American journalist. Um, so I'd, I'd gone, I got in trouble with his manager again on the Friday because uh, the TV crews were doing their interviews behind the garage. And then as he went to walk off, I asked a question and he stopped and he answered it and he gave me the time. But his manager then said, this is for TV. You're just supposed to stand there and record it. You can't ask a question. I thought, well, Michael didn't seem to mind. <laughs> but then I went to all his sessions through the rest of the weekend and he was on really good form. He was really relaxed. He, he saw the funny side of no one being there to talk to him. Uh, the, the other guy asked him a question at one point and he gave an answer. And then the guy said, can you elaborate on that a bit more? And Michael went, of course, ask me another question about it, um, which I really liked. And, <laughs> and yeah, he just he was really relaxed. And it, and it was obviously the perfect end to the weekend was that he got the only podium of his comeback that weekend. And I was really I was really pleased for him because I'd seen I'd seen a different side to him that weekend. And it was great to see um, him get a result worthy of worthy of mention and to get his only podium. So. Yeah, my, my worst experience was, was with him, but I had a more pleasant experience the following year, which I was kind of relieved about. Yeah, brilliant. That sounds good. It, it's really, really interesting and really good to hear these kind of anecdotes because you, you don't really hear uh, what, what the drivers are like behind the scenes. Um, mm. And it's good to have us that, those first-hand uh, experiences. Uh, Coops? Uh, just the last one. Where, do you, where would you like to see the race in maybe the next three, four years, which your kind of idea as an editor-in-chief, which your plan? Um, <clears throat> want to, to keep growing the audience, want to um, <laughs> break even and become profitable. Um, you know, we're, we're, running, we're running a tight ship on that front because it is, this industry is difficult to, to make work from a business point of view. And part of our mantra from the start was to make sure that we were lean so that the opportunities that are there will be enough to make it work as as a business want to keep keep growing and the important thing is that we don't obviously not been around very long but we don't go stale we don't just find a formula that we think works and then stick with it mm -hmm. um the the industry will keep evolving things we haven't thought of or we aren't aware of now will become pivotal and central to what we're all doing in years to come so you've got to be agile and ready to react to that sort of thing um, 
and I guess I'd quite like a million subscribers to our YouTube channel. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, everyone go over yeah. to the races YouTube channel. The hyphen race, uh, I'm, mm. I'm told you, you have to remember yeah, the, the race. Don't forget the hyphen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't forget the hyphen. That's what it is. Um, yeah. Uh, are you going to any of the races, the Formula One races this year? Obviously, I know it's going to be quite a close paddock. I don't know if uh, you've, you've got access. Uh, are, you, are you going to go and see any of them? Not at the moment, because obviously with, with numbers being limited, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the other guys are more important to have there than I am. Um, and then we'll see when things start to properly open up. Um, it'll be good to get, get back in there and just see people face to face and experience it all. Um, so it is yeah, a tough not, time, not, isn't it? For, for, especially a person in your position. Obviously, we're, we're, we're doing it as fans. Um, so we, we kind of claim what we can from wherever we can get it but you guys as as, as actual journalists um it's, it's it's a tough time uh to, to get those sorts of stories firsthand yeah it is really difficult for the guys who rely on personal relationships and and first-hand information and, and trying to get that probably there have been some benefits in that maybe people are a bit more accessible through kind of digital communication than they would have been before and it'll be interesting to see how all of that changes um, when we get back to normal, mm-hmm. an example that the fans probably see is that the Thursday press conferences, where the, you know we used to see what four or six guys would turn up in the FIA press conference, and then the rest of them were all done in a team, motorhomes, weren't televised, all that sort of thing. Now they've got this formula where everybody appears in the same place through the day. Will that stay? Has that worked? I noticed they they mixed the drivers up, didn't they, uh, last week? So yeah. we had cool things like Vettel and Lewis. We're together at the same time. I quite like that. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what sort of things stick around. I think everybody's got used to kind of doing podcasts and videos and that sort of thing remotely. Yeah. Um, and we've all realised that that's doable and it's worth investing in a bit of kit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining joining us today. You've been obviously a great insight into the race itself. And then obviously I love talking to you about obviously your career. We could probably sit here and talk for the until the cows come home. But bedtime calls um but, but thank you very much did you want to promote your uh your the race any any podcasts or anything no, uh, before we before we head off well you guys have done quite a good job of that for me the website is yeah the race.com and as coops mentioned there's a hyphen in the middle of there or as edge draw says don't forget the hyphen uh we are just the <laughs> race on youtube and we're oh. at we are the race on social media um yeah come come and check us out um yeah our output's quite varied i like to think there's some fan interaction and that sort of thing that's that's very important and steers a lot of what we do um beyond that as well so yeah come along comment on our our website or our podcasts or our videos Um, we check those out as and when we can Um, we try to drive some of that interaction with the audience um, make give it a bit of a community feel Mm -hmm. and yeah like i say in We've got podcasts that run every week covering F1, MotoGP, Formula E and IndyCar. And then, yeah, Bring Back V10s will be back kind of in the summer at some point when I come out of the dark hole that I have to go and do all the research in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I need, I need a bit of a recharge after the last one. But, yeah, there's 30-odd episodes now. So, yeah, search for Bring Back V10s, classic F1 stories, and you'll get stories from sort of the late 80s to the mid-2000s. Um, and we've had some cool special guests on there recently as well, so... Lots of people to get their their teeth into if they ever make it to the end of this podcast because I'm aware that we've gone on for ages. <laughs> we have we have spoke. Sorry for keeping you for so long. So I will certainly no, be checking. No, I've loved it. I, I will certainly checking out your uh, your podcast. Uh, bring back the V10s. It sounds like it's a, a great listen. All that's left for me to say is again promote our stuff. Again, uh, please give this a uh, 
this uh, podcast a five-star review if you can. It really does help us uh, go up in rankings. Um, we are on the website, www.everythingf1.com. All social medias, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, at JoinEF1. Uh, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for Sponge coming today, Coops coming to uh, speak to us, and of course our very special guest, the editor-in-chief of the race himself, uh, Glenn Freeman. Thank you very much for coming to, uh, to speak to us. No, thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, um, as I say, I don't mind at all that we've gone on for ages. Um, <laughs> you know, perfectly happy to have a nice long chat. It's been, it's been great fun. So thanks, thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe in the future, if we can bring you on or, or some of your team, it'd be absolutely brilliant as well. We, we, would, we can try and organise something for the future. Definitely. Brilliant. So we are Everything F1. We are driven by fans for the fans. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon. Bye bye. <laughs>